Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. So it's women, true crime, comedy. What's not to like? Hey guys, my name is Lucy. I'm Emma. And I'm really nervous about the high expectations you just set for this whole episode. Uh, And we're going to be recording another podcast about UK true crime. Yes. Um, I'm starting off and I'm going to do a well-known case. It involves Lord Lucan. Have you I've heard? heard the name. Well, I'd heard of him and I thought I knew what it was about. And I think growing up, it, he's just referenced all the time. It's like, oh, they found Lord Lucan. Like I knew he was missing. <laughs> and I thought that that... I missing. Oh, did you know? <laughs> I thought that was the crime. I thought that it was like that he'd been kidnapped or he'd disappeared. So he's a real guy. He's not like, where's Wally? Oh, no. Yeah, he's a real person. But he went missing, but that's not the main part of it. Did you know in America, where's Wally is where's Waldo? No one wants to find someone called Waldo. Is Waldo a name that people have or just Waldo has? I've never met or heard of a Waldo. Why don't we just call him where's Walter? I mean, we're not on personal terms with him. We should be using his formal title. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm looking for, for a man I've never met. I'm not mis- like calling him by his nickname. <laughs> Do you remember we went on that night out? And we were all dressed as Where's Wally, and, yep. was, and we used to we just ran off and hid in a crowd every now and then. Find me. I remember when I went on chat roulette on my own, dressed as Wally. On the same day, or you dressed up again? I think I just put the glass on the hat, the glasses on the hat on. I was like, this will be hilarious because people are like, we found him, and everyone just went, she looks like a dick, <laughs> or it was a penis. It was always a penis. It's always a penis. So, Lord Richard John Bingham would be the seventh Earl of Lucan, which is where, but more commonly known as Lord Lucan. He was born in 1934 into an aristocratic family, and they'd held the earldom for over 300 years. Um, But like many children who were born into a high society family, he was raised by a nanny and like probably just brought out to see his parents like for an hour a day before bed for a little chat and then off you go. That's the best way to be, I think. (laughs) That's perfect. So he wasn't close to them at all. He did go to a prep school in England and then when the Second World War broke out, he was sent to America when he was age six. 
So he'd been evacuated with his brother and his two sisters and he went to live with the widow of a millionaire banker who had a home in New York, a home in Florida. So she was new money. Like, so she actually had money. I think the aristocracy, even at this time, was in decline. And land rich, not so much. They didn't still have the exact same lavish lifestyle as they would have done. When he came back, he was really sort of disillusioned with the fact that the English aristocracy was nowhere near as glamorous as the lifestyle that he'd had in America. Which is kind of a bit like, because I watch a lot of Teen Mom. <laughs> Obviously. Teen Mom UK is not, it doesn't seem as glamorous as Teen Mom, the American one. I'm in a Love Island rabbit hole at the moment. Are you just, watching the old series? Yeah, because they've just been added to Netflix, haven't they? So, um, Richard Bingham, he came back to England when he was aged 11. And he did find this change difficult. He started acting out. He was difficult to manage. And he was eventually diagnosed by a psychologist having an attachment disorder. I assume you... I know a little bit about attachment disorder. I know disorders. a bit more about this. So there's... Um, so Mary Ainsworth is a leading psychologist and she said that there were four types of atta- four types of attachment. Um, so you've got secure attachment, then you've got insecure resistant and insecure avoidance. So insecure resistant would be a baby. So you'd maybe test them about age two and this is what you'd see. And you'd have a kid that would maybe be, um, if they're left away from the mother, they would cry and cry and cry and be absolutely inconsolable. But then when the mother comes back, they don't. They don't respond to the mother as well. They're still like almost traumatized. They're like really clingy baby, but one that isn't hasn't got sort of a confidence to explore the world. And then you've got insecure avoidant, which doesn't give a shit if the parents are there or not because there's not really a relationship there. So they'll play with a stranger as much as they would maybe a parent. But then you also have disinhibited attachment, which is a bit like avoidant, I think. But um, I think it's worse. Yeah. Like they're more sort of chaotic and maybe like a kid who's been in care and is really struggling to form attachments. Mm. So, yeah. So I guess that would be that he's just not really formed a strong attachment. And um, so other researchers have said that if you don't do that in childhood, then you're going to really struggle relationships later on. So you might not really trust people and things Mm. like that. Which is basically what we know of him, even when he was very early as a baby, wasn't forming a strong bond with his parents. And then... How could he if he never saw it? Exactly. And then even with his home that he knew in England, he was sent away as a young child. Mm. So he didn't have strong bonds with any of his family, really, other than his siblings. And exactly like you said, it's thought that this would lead to his sort of inability to really form loving and trusting relationships as an adult. He just sort of had relationships with people that he needed or that he would find useful and never really connected with them. So it was recommended by the psychologist while he was still young that maybe having a dog would help him sort of <laughs> get, get an affectionate bond with another living thing. They use dogs for bloody everything. I know. My mum was saying how brilliant dogs were last night. She's like, they're just so amazing. Like dementia, get a dog. Blind, get a dog. Can't read very well, read to a dog. Get epilepsy, get a dog. Do you think you've got cancer? Let a dog sniff it out. (laughs) Or is it cats that can sniff cancer? It's dogs. Like, they do everything. They do everything. I think it might be a dog conspiracy. (laughs) (laughs) They're getting on to us. What can we cure next? (laughs) So, um, I don't believe it worked quite well. And there are some people that um, believe that he was showing signs of psychopathy 
as a young child. So he attended Eton College when he came back, which, if you're not familiar, is like a boarding school for the ultimate poshos. Yeah. Like, the princes went there. The ones who talk like they've got something large in their mouth. Like, you can't get fancier than that. And then I started looking into it, because I was like, I'm sure Prince Harry and William went there. I've got to go and check. And they did. And then I was reading a thing about how there was an art teacher who won a case for unfair dismissal. um, And then basically she'd recorded a conversation between Prince Harry, her and another member of staff discussing how she should complete some of his AS level art coursework so that he could pass. So I don't know how quite it happened, but in the end... Who gives a shit if he gets art A level or not? Like the Prince of England. So she won the case for unfair dismissal, but Prince Harry was also cleared of any cheating. So So no one did anything wrong. How can if she was dismissed unfairly because they did ask her to cheat on his coursework and then he was cleared of you didn't cheat on your coursework no, it didn't work <laughs> he fucking cheated on his coursework also just fail art yeah I failed it who gives a shit no. <laughs> <laughs> I did I pure thank God I did four A levels because I got a U in that one a U I got a U how can you get a U if you've actually done the work. Oh, Lucy, <laughs> you're quite good at, like, arty stuff I'd, as well. We've I been life-drawing. I use chicken wire to shape a flapper hanging from the ceiling. What's I'm a sorry. flapper? So you're like, and I put, like, ties. Oh, like a, like a flapper dancer. Yeah, like a dancer from the 1920s. Hello. Do you have pictures of it? <laughs> it was fucking terrible. But I did do other stuff, like some paintings and shit. I, that was my worst A-level as well. I got a C. It's because the and teacher was, hated like, I was me. So disappointed. The teacher pure hated me, and then didn't two of the teachers leave to run a cafe together anyway? Because <laughs> they hated teaching. So I mean, Prince Harry could be just as successful as you are now. Yeah, with his you. <laughs> so that's the school <laughs> that Richard Bingham went to as well. Um, He wasn't one for following the rules and he was often in trouble. He would skive off, like go off ground, gambling massively. I'm imagining sort of like riot club style, like formal wear, cards, casino, that sort of gambling. Yeah. So in his last year of school, he was actually threatened with expulsion if he didn't get his act together and stop gambling late into the night. It was getting ridiculous. Um, but he, at this time, he very firmly believed that you could buy happiness. He just felt that there's nothing more to life than being rich and being fabulous. And that if you're not rich and fabulous, it's sort of your own fault. Like he just had a completely distorted view of the world. And he was definitely cementing his reputation as being a playboy and a womanizer. So, um, age 19, he was... Um, called to enlist for national service so you'd all have to do two years in the army but because he was a posher like they don't do it it's not a level playing field (laughs) it's not on the front line he was um, sent straight away to the Coldstream Guards which are like super fancy ones they get to wear the furry hats and they do a lot of ceremonial and public duties including sort of being the guards at various royal households so he was still able to maintain his privileged life and he was known as the biggest card player in the regiment they'd all just be posh boys together from all from well they probably his entire school year just ended up going to a similar place and it just continued from there 
but he did know that if he was going to maintain his lifestyle at this pace, again, it's old money, not a lot of cash injection, he's going to need to keep company of rich friends. He needed to stay in that circle so that if he did have a big loss, one of his friends could bail him out because they're all just playing with daddy's money. So one such friend was William Shandkid. You don't hear a lot of them about, do you? Shandkid. Yeah. Imagine being that rich that you just while away the days spending money. I think I'd be depressed. I suppose it depends what you want from life because like you maybe we'd be depressed because we're looking for connection we want to see your friends yeah. want to do things where he doesn't want any of that he doesn't have those attachments to yeah. people he just wants to be doing like adrenaline filled fun things. yeah but I guess you, it just becomes about showing off and how much people look at you or not and then I think that's it's like Love Island. <laughs> it's like, all they give a shit about is what people think of them. This is going to be a recurring theme. Yeah, it's going to come back it's to gonna Love be a, It's a bit like Love Island. I'd love to go into Love Island and just be the one that goes, you're a dick, you're a dick. <laughs> and it's just like, the one with the personality. I'm going to have to keep in the Love Island references because they're coming thick and fast. So if anyone's not aware, single guys, single girls go into a house and they lock them in until they have sex with each other they, ba- they basically manipulate them so that they're forced it is awful so that they're forced to if they're not in a romantic relationship just make it look like they're in one yeah you have Otherwise to couple they up get the and chop. sleep in a bed with someone like you're forced to be in a couple it's horrific time. isn't it really when you think about it and if someone doesn't fancy you you're going so it's really tough <laughs> yeah. but um so this friend that he had in particular is william canshid his he was canshid shand kid I love it when that happens. You can't force that. Spoonerism. Yeah. Um, but his friend, Bill Shandkid, he obviously was very big posher. His half-brother was Lady Diana's stepfather. Oh, God. So three degrees of separation, I think, when you get to posh people. Yeah. So after his national service was over, he did have to go and get a job. He went and got a job at a bank, but... He eventually just was like, I can earn more money from gambling. And so just sucked it off. Um, He did have some good fortune. He began to get this nickname of Lucky Lucan. I mean, basically, he was either winning or if he wasn't winning, he'd be getting a friend to bail him out anyway. So he would appear lucky. He did get win at one point. He had a huge win of um, £20,000 at once in a two-day-long game. It was about £200,000 now. So this was really the thing that spurred him to quit his job and just devote himself to this bachelor lifestyle. He's like, I can earn a couple of years' wages in a night. Why bother? So by the early 1960s, Bingham was spending the majority of his time in a casino where he'd amassed this group of followers who were known as the Lucan set. Um, (laughs) It was very Casino Royale, right? Like, imagine that James Bond thing. He had, like... He was tall, he was dark, he looked sort of like Cary Grant, like he had the moustache. He was attractive. Yeah. Um, So he was really, he was quite well known even before the scandals came out. He was. Thing is, if you've got money, you've just got to almost have a normal face and you'll do fine with a certain type of person. Well, seeking that out anyway. all you have to do is watch any any series of The Real Housewives and you see a whole group of women who are paying a lot of money to keep themselves super attractive, all the surgery, all the trainers, yeah. all the clothes, and then when you meet their husband, they're just the dumpiest lawyer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brilliant. So there was a girl called Veronica Duncan. 
and she'd moved to London to make her life for herself following a childhood in South Africa in sort of like the colonial areas and she moved in with her sister and the two girls obviously they were young they were from a nice family they were soon noticed by Luke and Set so Veronica's sister Christina she married Bingham's bestie William Shandkid in 1963 and then just 10 months later um, Lord Bingham married Veronica now Veronica was said to have like a nervous disposition um, she was quite meek um, she would be very submissive to Bingham, who she seemed to be in awe of at the beginning of their relationship. And it's thought that that's probably what drew him to her. He's yeah. like, my best friend's married. There's a sister. She's not going to put up any fuss when I'm out gambling all night. Mm. I'll just get one squared away. Yeah. Basically. Um, so he could he knew that with her... I mean, I'm not saying that he never loved her ever. But he knew that with her personality, he could continue his lifestyle yeah. unchallenged. Like, he could gamble, he could even cheat. Like, it's not... Yeah. It's not going to be a big deal. So, I think as well, because although she was still from a nice family, she wasn't quite the aristocracy that he was. So it was sort of like, there was that imbalance of power in that she's going to want to stay here with yeah. me, no matter what, because I'm her gateway to this world. Mm. So on the 21st of January, 1964, the 6th Earl of Lucan... Uh, John Bingham's dad died. So this meant that he inherited a large amount of money as well as the official title of Earl. So then, obviously, he's like, right, now I'm the Earl. It's really pressing that he gets on with getting an heir created. And so the, him and Veronica had three children together. So this was really the turning point for Veronica. She was very protective of her children. Now she had a family. Mm. Her priorities changed and um she was really now interested in protecting the family as a whole so she was getting more interested in where's our money going because we've got a family to support where are you at because you should be here with your children and she wasn't as happy staying at home as she had been before so she would even start coming out to the casino to keep an eye on him and they had like a thing called a widow's bench where all the wives (laughs) yeah they just have to sit and watch them oh god um, it's a fun night out, isn't it? Yeah. On the widow's bench. Widow's bench! <laughs> so Veronica, it seemed, as the more he got to know her, it was revealed that she was quite a complex character as well. She had her own diagnosis. She'd been diagnosed with bipolar. And she was taking medication for anxiety and depression. They just began to argue incessantly. And Veronica, in interviews later, said that... Um, her husband began a sustained campaign of undermining her and just trying to basically gaslight her, trying to make her look mad. He even tried to get her sectioned at one point. And it was after this failed attempt to get her sectioned that he just packed his stuff and left. What? Yeah. What? So you left her with the kids? Yeah. Yeah. And it's mainly that he just didn't, couldn't be bothered with her anymore. Not so much that she actually was having a serious breakdown or any of her mental health, mm. but he just didn't want to be involved with this well i guess in his viewpoint he's like i didn't sign up for this yeah i signed up for a passive wife who won't bother me exactly so 1973 the marriage was over and lord luke had moved out of the family home and into a nearby apartment when we say apartment it was like five bed like still belgravia like (laughs) fancy thing so the split was 
definitely not amicable and a vicious custody battle ensued for their three children, Francis, George and Camilla. So I was even at, well, then now it's always kind of a bit skewed towards the mother. Mm. But obviously Lord Lucan now had the money to fight it. So it went on for a really long time. The lawyers were really intense. But again, this fighting for her family and like fighting against him was brought out that side of Veronica and it spurred her to actually push back against him even more. Which in turn, like we're saying, then Lord Lucan just started to harbour more hate for her. Mm. Because he was like, this is, like you said, this is not what I signed up for. My game plan, sort of, was to have this quiet little life. Thing is, a lot, they can throw at each other as well, isn't they? Because if he's out all the time gambling, then you can use that against him. But then if she's got bipolar, then he can start throwing that in her face. Exactly that. And during the hearing, Veronica then spilled the beans on some of Lord Lucan's sexual preferences. And because he's a society figure, that becomes news. Yeah. So, at the time... I know, I want to get in on this gossip now. I know. (laughs) What was it? But at the time, these were seen as really perverse and scandalous. Oh, God. Um, It's... 69. (laughs) I was going to say, it's not as exciting. (laughs) I did hear one thing that said he would have... He'd have her exercise in rubber clothing before bed yeah but it's like no it's not i don't know i thought just exercise in rubber clothing. i guess like you, like a sexy cat suit yeah i think that and then he had a cane that he would spank her on the bottom with before they had oh. sex and you hear her se- talking about it and she's like um well he could have hit me hard but he must have liked it because he had sex with me afterwards and like she literally can't comprehend the fact that someone would be turned on by that. It's really interesting the way she's like, well, well, he must have enjoyed hurting me because he did have sex with me. Of course he enjoyed spanking you. But I guess now we just take that as a thing. But at the time, they're like, oh my God, he's absolutely (laughs) disgusting. So this hearing, the custody hearing lasted for days. Eventually custody was given to Veronica. And the whole thing cost around £40,000, which even in the 70s was a huge amount of money. And of course, Lord Lucan had had to pay for his legal fees. And because he's technically still supporting Veronica, he was paying for her side as well. So it made no sense <laughs> yeah, to be doing it. fighting himself. Um, the court did stipulate, however, that if Veronica was going to have full custody of the children, she had to employ a nanny to help her out. Which, fair enough, but I doubt the loss of Lord Lucan was really (laughs) much of a, you know, hardship. But, so she had to hire a nanny. So September in 1974, a girl named Sandra Ribbit was hired. She was a hairdresser. What? So she wasn't a nanny. She hadn't been much of it. She had looked after, I think she started to look after children in the local area. There's no actual nannies around. (laughs) She (laughs) she could cut their hair as well, it'll do. That's a bonus, isn't it? (laughs) I think she was from, she was just a normal girl, basically. She wasn't from that world. She was a working class girl. Um, Like I say, she'd done normal jobs and then wanted to get into childcare. So she was hired. And she was described as being lively, bright, um, really well liked. But it would only be two months into her employment on the 7th of November 1974 that things would take a devastating turn. Oh, God. So does he... I'm going to guess that he tries to crack on with her and she says no and then he murders her. Final answer? (laughs) Final answer. (laughs) They go to Love Island and they all sleep in a big bed. I don't know. So, um, basically, 
Lady Lucan has a very strict routine. She, every night at 9pm, she goes down, because it's like a many-storied townhouse, so the kitchen's in the basement, I guess, but yeah. nice basement. She goes down into the basement kitchen, makes herself a cup of tea before bed, every single night on the dot. I can get on board with that. Yeah, that's my life. <laughs> this particular night, on the 7th of November, it would normally have been Sandra's night off, but for some reason or another, she'd switched her days. So she'd offered to go down and make the cup of tea instead. Shouldn't mess with the system. So she would be carrying um, crockery. She would be have had to have gone down into the basement kitchen. And when she got there, she wouldn't have been able to turn on the light because the bulb had been taken out of the big light. So complete darkness. And then as she's fumbling there... It's believed that she was approached from behind and bludgeoned in the head with a length of metal pipe, which killed her. Shit. I thought it was going to be more affairy than that. Nope. Oh, shit. Um, her body was then... So they thought she was Veronica. Possibly. I mean, the, at the, there's no witnesses to this side of it, so... Yeah, they must have done. Her body was then put inside a big US mail sack... Um, supposedly so that it could be carried out and disposed of. So, at this point, Lady Veronica hears some noise, like, where on earth is the maid with my tea, and had gone down into the basement herself, where, as she was heading down, she too was met by this figure. And she was violently hit in the head four times with the metal pipe. She oh, received shit. blows to the front of her head, was bleeding really profusely, but didn't die. Lady Lucan then recalls recognising this attacker as being her husband. Fuck. So, from here on out, the events that we know are Lady Veronica's story. So, her story goes that she he tried to... She recognised him, he tried to strangle her, and she just basically managed to fight him off as much as she could. She fought back with everything. Yeah. Um Eventually, after some time of fighting, she was asking, like, where's Sandra? And he just went, she's dead. Don't look at her. And I think bringing up... She believes that bringing up Sandra sort of snapped him into reality. Because that... She thought it would obviously hadn't been his plan. She thought he must have mm. been here to kill her. Yeah. And then in the darkness, got Sandra instead. So she kept talking about it. She thought, now that he's faced with what he's done his plan's gone to part, it sort of stopped him in his tracks a little bit. So she then described how she tried to placate him by talking about how, you know, it's going to be fine, it, nobody's seen anything, we can deal with this, it'll be okay, and just trying everything she yeah. could to stop him from killing her then. She then said that he, she was like, I want to wash the blood off. So he said that he took her up to her bedroom and put her on the bed and said take these sleeping pills, basically, um, to try and... She thought possibly to kill her that way. Yeah. He then went into the bathroom en suite and began running the water, presumably so he could clean up the blood. So Veronica obviously knew that he wouldn't be able to hear as well with the running water. So she took her chance then and crept out of the room and just ran out of the house to the nearest pub. Yeah. Which we'd all do. Need a fucking drink after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Are the she, kids still in the house? Though? Yeah. Oh, shit. 
Well, she says that she'd gone into the... In one interview, she said that she'd gone into the bedroom and her daughter, Frances, had been in her mum's room watching TV. Yeah. And so Lord Lucan had just gone, oh, go to your room. And so she got up and left, but... I don't know, because then my dad doesn't live here. You'd be like, oh, hi, daddy. Oh, mum's with you. Why is she bleeding? Um, yeah. A lot of that. But then Veronica did change her story a little bit over the years, but she'd been hit in the head a lot of times. True. It, apparently, so she ran into this pub. It was called the Plumber's Arms. And apparently, one, a couple stories say that when she first ran in, she was just screaming that he's tried to strangle me. But the head barman at the time remembers her running in and saying that. He said, well, she was obviously delirious because you could see that she'd been smacked in the head and was bleeding everywhere. So she was obviously incredibly confused at the time. So some of the details may have been fuzzy. Exciting times at the local, though, wouldn't it? I know, right? It's going to cause a stir. Particularly when it's like the poshos down the road. Everyone would be lovely with that. Exactly. So the police were called, and one of the first officers on the scene was Don Baker. And he... Saw an interview with him, and I'm not sure what his angle is. I feel like he definitely believes Veronica's lying or hiding something. Right. I don't know what her motive would be for that. Because no one's gaining any money, no one's gaining anything from setting up this story. Yeah, why would she... I mean, it's not like she'd be in on the, the murder prior, because why would she want her own maid to be killed no idea but he doesn't say that explicitly basically he said i arrived at the pub and there was lady lucan ranting and raving well she's been fucking smacked in the head um ranting and raving bloody women (laughs) he then said that um she'd said oh my husband's done this to me and went to take them to her home and then he goes oh and she just turns around really casually and went oh and he's killed the maid as well I really doubt she said it like that. But... Well, do you know? I, I mean, she's pretty posh as well. You're in a, you're in an absolute massive. If you're bleeding massively from your head, you've been a, whatever's happened. She's su- sustained a really serious injury, and he's like, "Well, she said it in a really weird way." Well, you probably things do just. She hadn't Maybe seen she the just body. Did. Well, I don't really know, but this police officer wasn't impressed with her. That's all I know. So. The police arrived at the Belgravia home and they found in the kitchen doorway the blood-covered mailbag. And then when they sort of moved it, an arm came out and they knew that must have been Sandra Rivet. So there's no DNA at the time, but they were using blood type analysis. And so Veronica was blood type A, which matched the blood samples that were at the top of the stairs, which fit with her story of that being the attack site for her. And then Sandra was type B, and that matched the samples found in the kitchen from the first attack site. So it did all seem to support Lady Lucan's story of Mm. the two women both being attacked at separate times in that way. So an arrest warrant was immediately put out for Lord Lucan. He had borrowed a friend's car a week previously, which shows that he'd probably planned this for a while, and he'd fled in that down to Uckfield in Sussex. He drove to the home of a friend called Ian Maxwell Scott. He wasn't home, but his wife let him in, and she listened to his story. And he told her that he'd returned home and found his... um, Sorry, he'd returned home and found this sort of scene of the attack. Another man was attacking these women. And then... But had obviously gone. 
So no. So he ran off. Well, yeah, he thought, well, I'm obviously going to be in the frame for this. He was telling her that there was a conspiracy to frame him, basically. They've been attacked. Everyone's going to think it's me, so I've got to run away. But this was met by some derision from people that heard it. Mm. Because not only is it unlikely, it um, really closely resembled the storyline of a TV show at the time, The Fugitive, that was really popular. It had been on TV for a long time. Yeah, I've seen a film... Of the fugitive, but yeah, didn't they do a series as well? Yeah, so I think people are like, oh, he's obviously just got his inspiration. So he did stay at that house just for a couple of hours while he wrote out two letters, both of them to William Shandkid. One of them was basically stating his innocence, saying, I've not done it, but I've got to leave. And the other one was more of a business letter saying which of his possessions he should sell at Christie's in order to pay off his gambling debts which were in, like, the 40,000s at this point. He also phoned his mother. He'd phoned her twice. He phoned her once, sort of, like, in a rambling, clearly shocked state, just saying, will you go and get the children? He then phoned her after he'd written his letters. She had the children and was with a police officer. And she said, well, do you want to speak to him and tell him what your story is? He was like, no, I'll talk to them in the morning. It's fine. And just hung up. Tired now. So about 1.15am, so still only a matter of hours after Sandra's murder, Lord Lucan left the Maxwell Scott house and he drove off. And this was the last time that he would be officially seen by anyone. Three days after the attack, police found the car that Lucan had borrowed abandoned in New Haven in Sussex. Type A and B blood were both found in the car along with some fibres from the house. There was some note paper matching a note that Lucan had written to one of his friends, and there was also some lead piping in the boot, which matched... It wasn't the exact one, but it matched the one that was found in Belgravia. So he had just been able to disappear off the face of the earth. He was never found, seen, anything. Just the car was found. That's what money does, isn't it? And so this story has then sparked conspiracy theories that have gone on for decades. Wow. Some people say that he's still alive now. I mean, he'd be young. He'd be the same age as my granddad. Yeah. So he could... So so a lot of people say that he could still be around, and some people say the other thing. So I'll tell you a couple of the uh, stories. So one theory is that which is the one that i think is probably the most likely is that he'd driven that car to new haven and then because he knew there was no way out had drowned himself in the harbor because new haven's like a port area drowned himself in the harbor where the car was found it seems the most plausible but they never found a body but if you put like rocks and stuff in your pockets and go to the bottom i don't i don't know that they dredged it or anything but that's what Mm. i think is likely so that's one option um another one is that there was a woman called shirley roby and she worked for a friend of lord lucan's john aspinall and she came out later saying that she'd overheard conversations in the like 70s 80s between john aspinall and other people about lord lucan's hiding Mm. so she said it was he was somewhere hiding somewhere in africa basically just <laughs> he's hiding somewhere. in somewhere a hundred times the size of England isn't it great um, but then she got a lot of criticism for saying that well if you'd heard people talking about him hiding why didn't you inform anyone she said well I didn't know 
he'd committed a murder. But I found that really... Like I said at the beginning, I didn't know he committed a murder. But she's talking about in the actual 70s when it happened. Yeah. Surely if anyone's mentioning his name, you'd know what the story was. So I'm not so sure about that one. And they might have been discussing his possible hiding. It doesn't mean they hid him. Yeah. So that was one. Another one, a guy called Philippe Mark, he was a friend and he claims that to have been told by another friend (laughs) that... Does anyone know him? (laughs) (laughs) That Lucan... Basically, I think if you hung around the casino, you could claim you were his friend and get 15 minutes in the paper. (laughs) But he said basically that Lucan went to his mates and said, what on earth am I going to do? He wanted to kill himself. And they said to him, right... Kill yourself, fine. But the only reason you've done all of this is to get Veronica away from your children. Mm. So if you're going to kill yourself, we need to make sure your body is never found. Because if you can't be proved to be dead, then your title can't be passed on to anyone and your estate can't be passed on to anyone. So Veronica still won't have any hold over the children and their finances, basically. So... They said, so this John Aspinall, again, this crazy friend, it said that he had a private zoo and Lucan shot himself and then they fed his body to the tigers in John Aspinall's zoo, which is why he's never been found. That's fucking badass, though. The, the police actually did investigate this, the tiger story. Well, and he was like, as if I'd feed Lucan to my tigers, they only have the priciest cuts or something. <laughs> That's grim. Um, so yeah, then there are even members of Bingham's family that maintain his innocence and say he didn't kill anyone and he just left the country and he's living abroad. They don't know it, they're just hoping that that's the theory. But Uh, you'd want to believe your family was innocent. Yeah, but it's really interesting, like, this discussion about why so many, like, so I watched a documentary, Fred Dynage, classic, (laughs) about this case. And he was having a discussion where they went and interviewed people on the street and basically said to them, what do you think happened to him? What do you think happened to him? And so many people believed that he had got away with it and believed in one way or another that he was basically doing a Ronnie Briggs and was like living abroad, plastic surgery, that kind of thing. And they were talking about the psychology of why do people want to believe? It's like they want to believe that he got away with it. And it's sort of like... He killed a fucking innocent girl who'd like had a whole life ahead of her and that's the sort of thing with this case is that the murder's often forgotten because this this getaway and this mystery of Mm. him going it overshadows it overshadows everything and people sort of like want this fantasy of being able to be a fabulous rich person and just jet off and Mm. stick two fingers up to the like police yeah i don't know where that could but then but they're not thinking about the parents of that poor girl yeah. Because they deserve him to be fucking caught. Yeah. So even at the time, so then obviously there would have to be an inquest into this death. Um, there was a huge media frenzy around it, but people there at the time described it as having a jovial atmosphere. Oh my God. And again, it's this really lighthearted thing of like, oh, rich man's gone and done this mad thing. And of course, the family of Sandra Rivett were furious about it mm. but this is we've got a dead daughter and all anyone cares about is where is this guy is he having a lovely time or not um but the inquest was held and this was actually the last time in british law that the coroner's jury were able to give a verdict where they named the murderer 
So they did return a verdict that she was killed by blows to the head and that it was John Bingham that had done it. Even though he's never been tried or convicted, he's named on her death certificate yeah. as being the cause. Uh, which I suppose could possibly give some closure to Sandra's family in that he's never been caught, but he is officially. He must have died because he wasn't even. He was in debt, wasn't he? He wasn't even super rich. He he did have an estate and things, but he didn't have shitloads of cash, did he? But it, well, I suppose Unless people think that he's got these up. rich friends. He'd ask Shan Kid to sell his stuff. Could he be sending him money? Yeah, I'm not one for massive conspiracy theories. Anyway, I just think he killed himself, but. Yeah. It's possible. So it wasn't until 1999 that he was officially declared dead and his family were given probate over his estate. But there was still no death certificate there was still no death certificate ever issued. Which so they couldn't shut down his Facebook account. Nope. Um and which meant that his son George Bingham basically he if you're a law, if you've got a title in England, then you're automatically given a seat in the House of Lords um, side of Parliament. So his son George Bingham wanted to be able to go to the House of Lords, and when he was declared dead, said, "Right, I'm ready to take my place." But they said, without the death certificate, no title, no lordship, mm, nothing. This was granted in 2016, I believe. I mean, I still, but he still maintains that his dad was innocent. And da, da, da. I bet they're a bit like, I think they put him off as well because they're like, well, we don't really want you around <laughs> a little bit. But his wife, like I said, Veronica, when I've been talking about her interviews, she spoke in a documentary in 2017 called My Husband, My Truth that you can find, um, which is quite interesting. But then not long afterwards, she was actually found dead on the 26th of September 2017. She had been estranged from her children for years, since the 80s. I'm not quite sure why, mm. but they were cut out of her will completely and she left everything she had to shelter Aww. the homeless charity. So, there's a, good a, cause. there's a nice ending for you. Yeah. Lovely. Amazing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So after a brief interlude and a chat about RuPaul's Drag Race, we're back. back. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to tell you about Kenneth Erskine, the Stockwell Strangler, which I'm a bit scared still that we might have already done. But Either we've done him or we've just independently read about him. I must just (sighs) keep thinking, oh, I'll do him one day. But I couldn't find him in our past episode so we must be okay but i got a lot of this information from a book with the same name it's called kenneth erskine the stockwell strangler by andrew alexander which is literally two pounds so if you want to like oh so you actually bought this one yeah nice. so like if you want to like, <laughs> download so. it and read along and then when you hear this on. ding turn the page <laughs> yeah but go on they're like give andrew alexander a couple of quid like he deserves it for this so this is um, the story of Kenneth Erskine, and I hope I'm saying that right. I think it's about right. It's spelled E-R-S-K-I-N-E. So Erskine is my best guess. So he was born in 1963 in Hammersmith, and he had a British mother, and his father was from Antigua. 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 It's got you in it. Thank God you're here. So, he grew up in a council flat after his mother and father divorced. And he was one of four sons. Um, And he was described as being quite a calm kid by neighbours who were later interviewed. So, once he reached teenage years, his behaviour deteriorated quite rapidly. And he was sent to a special needs school. I think it was picked up that he had quite a low IQ and he was not very academic. Um, And his this carried on like he was... He definitely had some sort of learning disorder or disability. Right. Um, and he began to have quite violent outbreaks. So from this calm, placid, sort of young, younger kid, he became really quite violent. He would attack other pupils. He would attack staff. Um, and then he tied up younger students when they went to swimming lessons. And um, also, like, just push their heads under oh, the water. Like a foam noodle. Like, just <laughs> yeah. But like push their heads under the water as well. Not till yeah. they passed out, but like it's quite that's quite bad. Just waterboarding people. Just some casual waterboarding. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that's why it had taken so long to realise he had learning difficulties though, because he'd been so quiet as um, a youngster. You know if he's not causing them any problems. I'm not saying we as teachers do it, but I know there yeah. are teachers where if they've got a kid who's a bit quiet isn't really kicking off they're like oh yeah i don't really know about him why he's not getting it yeah it's the ones that kick off that the ones that you you've got to chat like focus on aren't they that's the problem but possibly but i think he i think it was picked up youngish i think he went to a school quite young um but then it's puberty that sort of set him off on this behavior um and then it got so bad that he stabbed a teacher whoa in the hand with scissors and then oh I felt that it's horrid isn't it like right in slicey. the little tendony bit. but then so then the teacher obviously called for help and a nurse came to the school to, obviously the same day to try and assess him and examine him and he got her and he held scissors to her throat but he's obviously still holding so even the, sa- was... even the shitty safety scissors we had the little round red ones they could still fuck someone up if you like really jabbed it in my throat 
Yeah, proper. I'd never sing again. I'd be like Julie Andrews, though, and then I'd rise to the occasion, and there'd be an assembly when I just went to the front, like, time to... And everyone would be like, she's got it! Like that one out of Orange is the New Black. Yeah. Suddenly starts singing, and everyone's like, oh, shit. Um, but I guess, like, he's got these scissors to her throat, and she's like, yep, he's definitely crazy. <laughs> like, that's my my assessment. official assessment is, he's a little bit angry. <laughs> Let's work on there's a volcano in my tummy. Uh, so he also began to show his genitals to female staff and um, say sexual things to them. So he's a very confused young man. Um, so at home, he tried to hang. He tried to hang his little brother, oh like God. with a rope, twice. Hanging's a weird thing. Like, how do you know about? Do you know? I just think like, do you think you invent? You know, if you'd never been exposed to hanging, do you think you you invent hanging? Um. I mean, I, I think I I'm probably, sure that he probably did know about hanging. I don't I think I knew about hanging. I'm sure I probably whipped a shoelace around a Barbie and swung around my head a few times. But oh yeah, I don't know if I'd. I don't know if it, I'd think of it as a way of murder. Probably. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking as a kid. Like it's I don't think I'd. One. Yeah, I don't think I'd think to do it. I think the kids are exposed to so much so young these days. They know suicide, rape. I had said to Year Seven the other day, because um, we were going to discover if Lady Macbeth was really responsible for the murder of King Duncan through criminal, like, they were going to look at the evidence and stuff. And it was a bit like CSI. And I said, has anyone seen any sort of crime documentaries? And one put their hand up and said, yeah, I watched this one where someone got raped and there was semen all over the bed. God, <laughs> year seven. seven. Well, it was like, my kids, we had to practice, did I tell you about how we had to practice lockdown? No. For, um, so we were having to practice lockdown procedure for if, I don't know, various things happen. Someone's on the school grounds and like get all the kids into the corridor and sit down where no one can see you, there's no windows, all that sort of stuff. But I hadn't, obviously I was trying to explain it to the children in a kid-appropriate way. So I was like, well, normally if there's a fire or anything, we go into the playground. But if for whatever reason the playground isn't suitable for it, we need to practice where we can go in the school building. And then one of my kids just went up, like if there's a perv or something. <laughs> and I was like... Yeah. <laughs> like, if there's a perv. There's a exactly guy with it. his knob out outside. And the other yes. kid's like, what's that? What's that? I was like, shut up. Uh, moving on. He's like, he means a dog. He means an angry dog. Now pipe down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. The things they come out with. So, it was, so, he tried to hang his brother twice, but it was when his mother found that he'd given his brother cannabis is when she threw him out. That was the line. Like, that's the straw that tips the car. <laughs> Stab the teacher as many times as you want, but you will not smoke pot in this house. <laughs> yeah. um, so he never saw his brothers or his family again after that. Literally ostracised from the whole lot. Well, so, they'd had enough. He spent seven years after that. I mean, he's still very young at this stage. So he spent seven years basically homeless. Obviously, he's not got a house. He's not going to go to the school. No one's going to make him go to school. But there's no evidence that there was any issue. I mean, his parents divorced, but there's nothing about his parents mistreating him or... No, Hmm. I I think it's mental health. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he stayed in squats and he would commit petty crimes to to have money to buy food. Um... And um, he tried being a Rastafarian for a while, but the other Rastafarians pretty much didn't want him hanging around with them because he was a criminal lowlife who shows his knob to women. So they thought it's not really our thing. Um, He had a mental age of an 11-year-old at sort of his most advanced. So um, quite... That's like enough to get by, isn't it? Yeah. 
yeah i would say like if you're 11 like you can have conversations with people yeah you can sort of get by but it's just very immature isn't it rather than it being intermediate level sudoku yeah that's what we're talking like you can talk to you could have a conversation with an 11 year old but it's not going to be that engaging they're going to get themselves dressed but they're not going to pay their bills (laughs) yeah that's it so at 18 he had his first gay relationship um with another person i think i think he was staying i mean there wasn't a lot of information i'm inferring quite a lot but i think he was sort of staying in maybe a hostel or a squat or something like that um but this ended when he broke into his boyfriend's bedroom and then tried to attack him with a knife so although the boyfriend didn't press charges the relationship was pretty much over from that point (laughs) this isn't for me so alongside criminal behavior there were various assaults um he was living as a drifter but he would also paint and this was his way of sort of expressing himself, expressing sides of himself that he couldn't verbally express. But um, he didn't get a you. And sharing it with others. Unfortunately, what he wanted to express was pictures of elderly people tied to beds and gagged on fire and with daggers in them. See, why elderly people, though? Totally obsessed with the elderly. Yeah, but there's no, there's no sort of big involvement with his grandparents. There's no... Um, there's nothing that sort of expects... Maybe it's there the fact must that be a reason because they're easy targets. I think the vulnerability the because easy he's targets, scared of being old. Maybe because he hasn't had contact with older people. There is a, a bit of research by Harwood that looked at um, sort of stereotypes about the elderly and children who spent a lot of time with their grandparents were much less prejudiced against old people because they saw them as just a grandparent or a person whereas kids who didn't really see their grandparents were like old people are old people are stupid old people don't know things like just right. more like old people are rubbish yeah so i guess he didn't have that social contact maybe with older people and therefore it wasn't really as empathetic towards them i don't know but very much that's all his art was i just but, think it's interesting i mean if you yeah. we don't know for sure just because a lot I'm not, it's quite unusual to target the elderly in that sort of like yeah, venomous way. Yeah. Like a lot of people target elderly people like as in like, oh, I knock on their doors and pretend to be a gas man because it's easy. But to like, in your own head, be like really, like really hate four specific old people. You'd yeah. think there'd be, there must be something that we don't know about why he did that. I think it's like um, nurses who target ill people. It's just easy. Get a new fucking job. <laughs> yeah. But it's like there's that... Um, there's a few killer nurses, aren't there? That, and I mean, Harold Shipman was for the money, but there's a few that did it for the thrill of killing, but it was the easiest way to achieve that. It's just they're not going to find Like that. a god complex, isn't it? Yeah. And, you, and when I go through it, I think you'll see that a little bit. So summer of 1986, this is when he begins his hacks on the elderly. Um, and a lot of the sexual assault, I will say, in, in the book I read, it was described as sexual assault, but actually when they talked about it in court, they did say it was always buggery. That's like I said yeah. last week, how rape against men wasn't actually recognised and it was just classed as an assault. Yeah, and a lot of this is against men. So, yeah, but they, they did say also they couldn't tell if the buggery happened before or after the killing. Um, so I, ju- I just don't just know. call it rape. It's just horrid. So, um, the first victim was Nancy Eileen Ems. She was aged 78. Um, and she lived in Wandsworth. 
and she was found by her carer on April the 9th, 1986. Um, and they assumed at first that she had either fallen or she maybe had a heart attack and she died. Um, and a death certificate was signed as being down to natural causes. But then they realised that her TV was missing. I thought, well, that's a bit weird. So they had another look at the body. So in the post-mortem, they found that she actually had been strangled and her body had bruising on it as well. And the only evidence they could find for someone having done this was a little piece of hair from someone who was um, had Afro-Caribbean hair. So they just had this singular hair. Was he black? Yeah. So Janet Cockett was age 67, and she lived quite near to Nancy, so it's a very small area that he's targeting in Wandsworth. And she, again, to appeared to have died peacefully, um, because what he would do is he would murder them, and then he'd put them back in bed, but he'd sort of curl them up so they looked like they were just asleep, um, so, and put the covers back over them. Maybe thinking he was covering his tracks. Possibly, or there's some weird thing that... Like, it's hard to get into the mind of a killer, isn't it? It's just horrific. Um, so, in post-mortem, they saw signs of strangulation and bruising, and she had broken ribs, so it was clear that this was a murder. And also, the photos in her room had been put face down or turned around, so it's almost like he didn't want them watching while he was having sex with her so what a weird why why bother if you're doing something so perverse i just i don't understand why you'd give a shit about the pictures he's obviously got his own moral code hasn't he it's not completely it's not that's what maybe suggests mental health for me obviously i don't really know anything but for me i would read that as it's not like he knows what's right and what's wrong and he's doing what's wrong it's that he thinks that it's he's got his own sense of right and wrong yeah like he thinks that oh this isn't appropriate for them to be looking yeah but what i'm doing is what i should be doing yeah i don't know i've been watching too much of the alienist they're just like this must mean this i must i need to watch that um i'll get off love island and get on the alienist Uh, so this time, though, they did find a partial print, but they, it was a print of his palm, and um, which I've never really heard about palm prints being much of a thing. Uh, the Bible. I was explaining to Tom that we went to visit a church when we were in Brussels, and I was explaining about how his name is from, like, Doubting Thomas. I was like, do you even know that story? He's like, no. So then I was, like, telling him a Bible story while we were in a church, and these tourists started gathering round. I was like... <laughs> That's it for today. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Money in the hut, please. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's a free tour, but if you just want to donate whatever you feel, it's right. Sign into Patreon. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash thought of the podcast. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so so they found... So the thing, the thing that I find weird about the fact that he's... Because there's another palm print. I'm going to say, did they do it on like, oh, his lifeline's very short? <laughs> Well, I guess they use the markings, but your so the, murder line is fucking huge. <laughs> so the problem was, so he'd been in trouble and been arrested for um, minor crimes like this stealing that he was doing before. So they did have fingerprints, but they so they were using the database by this time for fingerprints. But for palm prints, they did keep palm prints of criminals, but they you had to physically go and look and compare. So you'd have to look... So someone would have to... Because it wasn't on a database. It hadn't all been uploaded. They're just checking against, like, the Hollywood walk of fame. Like, okay, it's not Reese Witherspoon. Nope. <laughs> like, where else do you keep palm so prints? I guess that... Well, they had a database of 
they had a physical database of them, but yeah. you'd have to go and sort of look at each one. So right. they were just focusing on that local area, but still... Because it couldn't digitally match yeah. it. Yeah, so think. still there was about three months' work. I mean, I don't know who's slacking off that much, but it was about three months' work. I could have done it in a week, I reckon. <laughs> like, eight hours a day, looking at palm... Like, comparing how many Yeah, people... but you couldn't do it consistently, could you? Like, your brain would just start to slow down. Maybe. So... So actually, that is what got him caught later on. Nice. But it took so long to match that up. But I also, what is he fucking wearing? Like little finger gloves, but he gets sweaty palms, so he's got the palm print like cut out. Why is there no fingerprints? And yet but he's got palm prints. How weird. Is he just smashing his palm against stuff? Like on The Simpsons, they're like, if your fingers are too fatted out, just mash the keypad <laughs> with your palm. Yeah, that's it. So, um, so his next victim was... Or the, well, this person was a potential victim. So Frederick Prentice, he was 73. He lived in a retirement home in Clapham and he was a retired engineer. And he was still awake and he heard the sound of someone creeping down the corridor and then slowly opening his room. So this is like a, as a retirement home. So this is a gold institution. mine. <laughs> An institution. So it's not like a guy living on his own. He's yeah. There's into... people everywhere. Yeah. Unless so... it's a retirement community and he's in his own little no. There's stuff flat. Around, stuff around the head. Oh there. shit! So that's fucking ballsy. Yeah. He targets a few. He obviously thought I'm fed up of working out where old people live. I'm just going to go oh, where all yeah. the old people live. Yeah. So Frederick shouted, "Get out!" to him. But Erskine grabbed his neck and he began to choke him. And Frederick survived this and he says that what he did was he would choke him and then stop and let him breathe. And then he'd choke him, almost like he was toying with him and sort of playing with the idea of I could kill you any moment. So then he dragged Frederick out of bed and he pushed him against the wall where he was knocked unconscious. And it's thought that he just thought that he'd killed him then. So he just left. So Frederick was found by staff. And he gave a description to the police of what he'd seen and heard. Um, but he also said, this is the creepiest bit, during the attack, Eskreen had just been whispering, kill, 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 just the whole time. How fucking freaky is that? Maybe he had voices. Oh, horrid. So another retirement home, this time in Stockwell, um, Erskine broke in just one night. This is the, sac- the night after he'd attempted to kill Frederick. So right. he is just binging. So he targeted two men in his retirement home in adjoining rooms. There was Valentine Gleam, 84, and Zbigniew Strabawa, 94. Both Polish. Sorry, I've fucked up those pronunciations. But um, So he sexually assaulted and strangled both of the men. And um, stole items from their rooms. So at this point, police realised they were after a serial killer. Mm. After four killings and one attempt. So the next victim was William Carmen. He was aged 84. And he still lived in his own flat. And Erskine broke in. And he assaulted him and strangled him. Before stealing around £500 of his savings. Then he targeted William Downis. uh, Aged 74. So, mostly older, like, quite seriously old. <laughs> like, frail. Like, old and frail. Not like, show me when you say, oh, they're a bit old, but you really you mean just elderly. About, like, yeah. yeah. So, old and frail. Um, so, this was 
he was living in a bed set. Um, he was sexually assaulted. He was strangled. And then another palm print was found and that matched the one that they'd found. It's just like high-fiving pillows. <laughs> yeah, weird. Uh, and that matched the one that they'd found previously. But again, why just the palm? Not a bloody palm print because he's strangling. So literally just a sweaty palm print. Yeah, on objects, not on people. Oh. So... Clammy. Clammy but, Davis Jr. But who's touching things palm first? If he's walking around with his fingers bent back, thinking, I've got to worry about the fingerprints. Yeah, that might... Do you know what? That literally might could, be what he's yeah. doing. We said he's as clever as an 11-year-old. I can literally picture my kids doing that. Like, no yeah. fingerprints, just grabbing things with two palms, like a little... Maybe. Yeah. So... Um, Wear gloves. <laughs> so Florence Tisdall aged 80, was the next victim. And she lived in another retirement home in Fulham. And she was sexually assaulted and strangled. She was found by a caretaker on July 23rd. And she was described as being totally helpless. Um, I mean, she was half deaf. She was pretty much blind. Like, really frail, older person. Very weak. Um... And she had cats and she would leave the window open for her cats. So they probably got open through an open window. And I think probably that's the case for a lot of these. That it was just, he'd target places that maybe a bit easier to get into. Because there weren't a lot of signs of breaking an entry. So it would be an open window here or um, finding a way in through some place. It's believed that there's probably more victims as well. Because he would make it look like they were sleeping peacefully. Some of them must have thought it was natural causes. So due to the small area that the killings were happening in, police focused on that area and they produced a profile of what they thought the suspect was probably like. So they said that he's probably black, young, quite strong, goes out at night quite a lot, possibly working with the elderly or maybe recently fired from a job at a care home. Um, but it was that palm print that got him arrested. So eventually they were able to match up the palm prints they'd found with the ones that had been taken at the time of his arrest, which I didn't know they did. Maybe they do the whole hand. Um, and but once they'd worked out who it was, they waited for him to attend a meeting to collect his social security benefits, and then they arrested him when he arrived. So he told police that he heard a woman's voice in his head quite a lot of the time, and it would tell him to do things, and that it was this woman's voice that was causing I said the murders. kill, kill, kill. It's Lady Macbeth, the bitch. <laughs> no, she was pretty guilty. When will she be satisfied? Um, I don't like the Lady Macbeth. She didn't kill no one. Don't blame us for persuading people to kill <laughs> someone. No, but she felt bad about it as well. She yeah, right. Out. Leave Lady Macbeth alone. So she, um, he, they... So they were worried that he was going to avoid trial because of mental health grounds. So what they did was, which was quite unusual um, at the time, was they put his photo in the papers to encourage people to come forward with more information so they could tie him to the crimes. Hardly anyone came forward. No one bloody knew him. You have He's no creeping friends. around in the dark as yeah, well. Yeah, no friends. No one really liked him. Um, so very few people came forward. So he was charged with seven counts of murder and one attempted murder. And he pled not guilty. He 
Um, Frederick spoke at the trial, so the one he'd attempted to murder and hadn't managed to. He described his attack and how scary it was and how he, he'd whispered kill while he was doing it. Um, and there were also workers from the care home in Stockwell, which is where the two Polish men were killed. They talked about how they heard someone enter um, and they'd grabbed, like, rolling pins and things that things they could attack him with um, and they'd gone to investigate and they briefly saw him before he fled so they said that they'd seen him at the scene of the crime um and then one of the workers had said that they'd heard an electric shaver and they said that they think that he'd killed the, those two men but then he'd had a shower and shaved and then gone oh so they'd sort of found him well he's living in washer. like a squat isn't he so weird probably just taking the opportunity to get clean so another witness claimed to have seen Erskine near where Florence was killed on the night that she died and said that she'd seen him vomiting and she said that he'd been so weird and creepy wandering around at night not really anywhere to go throwing up in the street that she'd actually called the police but by the time the police had come that he'd already gone so he was found guilty on all seven counts of murder And he was given life in prison, where the minimum term was 40 years. But there's four more cases that they think were linked to Erskine. So John Jordan... convicted for Yeah. John Jordan, 57, he was found strangled in bed in Brixton. Charles Quarrell, 73, he was suffocated in bed in Southwark. Wilfred... Southwark. Is it? Oh, shit. (laughs) Southwark. (laughs) Potato, potato. Wilfred Parks, 70, who is strangled in bed in Stockwell. Or is it Stokewell? No, sorry. It's not, sorry. <laughs> I'm in Southwark. <laughs> Trevor Thomas, 75, who um, was strangled and sexually assaulted. And he was found in his bath at his home in Clapham. So four more people that they, they closed the cases on because I think they're so convinced that he did it. But right. there's just no evidence. Just, there's nothing to pin him to any of those crimes. It's just a similar pattern. It's ju- it just seems to fit with it. So he was originally sent to a normal prison and then he was transferred to Broadmoor. And while he was at Broadmoor, he actually um, ended up saving the life of Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. No way. I mean, he fucking killed all these lovely old people and then he saves the Another life strangler? Of, of the worst other person. So basically, Peter Sutcliffe was being strangled by inmate Paul Wilson, and Erskine went and got the guards, and it was just in time to save Peter. Oh, Sutcliffe so he's just being life. a bit snitchy. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't like seeing other people getting away with strangling. Um, so then um, they also reduced his crimes to voluntary manslaughter because of this argument that he um, had mental health issues and that he couldn't help it so and they had gave him a diagnosis of schizophrenia so he actually went to the appeal um and went into court to discuss this idea of that it should be reduced and he was criticized because he fell asleep in court and he began snoring really loudly no. <laughs> that's quite funny so he was like told off by the judge no way. for just falling asleep uh, and then 2016 he was transferred to a medium secure facility so the scary thing is that because he's he did these crimes so young and he his sentences were reduced 
that actually he probably could get out and but he's in Broadmoor still no he no, was he's back to a normal prison isn't he he's in medium security now because if he was stayed in Broadmoor it would have been unlikely he'd get out because he wouldn't pass assessments yeah. but obviously he's doing better so there is a chance that he could potentially get out mm. which I'd, if he had a life sentence for each of those murders he'd have so many years he never would but they gave him 40 years minimum term but then, because they changed the judgment, it might not even be 40 years. It could be less. So, I'm hoping... Something to think about if you're living in Stockwell. If you hear someone walking down a corridor towards you, whispering the words, kill, 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 if it's him or not, I'd fucking run. I was going to say, <laughs> before hearing this story, that would still shit you up. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thanks for listening. Oh, sorry. Turn the page. <laughs> <laughs> um... Check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash slaughter the podcast if you would like to uh, hear some extra stuff or vote on the slash and dashes or just contribute and give your hard earned money to us as yeah. a the thank full you. episode mother daughter slaughters are excellent. Yep. Recommend I will get her to do another one soon. Um follow us on Twitter at slaughter the pod. Yep. Find us on Facebook. So Facebook guys, um I tried a new face mask the other day and it was I honestly look really terrifying. Have you used one of those sheet masks? Yeah. In the, um, in the mirror. So I was thinking, if you've got any anything that you do or any weird beauty products that when you use them makes you look absolutely terrifying, put some photos up on Facebook. We'll all have a good giggle. It'll be fun, fun times. Um, and just keep listening, guys. Tell your friends about the podcast and have a lovely bank holiday weekend if you're in the UK. And if you're not, just have um, a great day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. 
That's stamps.com. Code program.